one of one of the movies I, I haven't seen it very recently, but one of my favorite uh, movies is um, The Princess Bride, and that might surprise you, um, but it, there's just something about the characters and the way they interact. It's just it, it's just a neat thing. One of the characters is Inigo Montoya. He's, and he says that often. He says, my name is Inigo Montoya. And he's, he's talking to the, the villain in the movie. He says, you killed my father. Prepare to die. He gets in the fight, and he's getting hurt. He's getting wounded, fatally wounded. But he keeps getting back up. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he keeps going after this villain until finally he defeats the villain. Now, he himself dies as well, but that doesn't matter because he is Inigo Montoya. And that guy killed his father. There's something about endurance. The person who keeps getting up, the boxer who gets knocked down, Rocky, who who keeps getting up. We root for that character to win. We want to see someone endure the hardships and never give up, never surrender. Don't quit. Don't ever quit, right? We want that guy to win. It doesn't even matter what team they play for. When you see someone getting hit, play after play after play, constantly being knocked down, you want them to keep getting back up. Unless maybe uh, uh, it's all running, you're an Alabama fan or vice versa. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. You like them to get up. You just want them to hobble off. And, and <laughs> no, we love to see that guy that is just facing incredible odds, but never gives up. Paul is that kind of guy. He has just been talking about all of the reasons that he could be a winner. We talked about this last week. I could be a winner, right? But I choose to be a loser for Christ. Paul chooses to put away all of the things that should have made him great in God's view. All of the fleshly claims of righteousness, he puts them all away in order to gain Christ. Now he's going to carry that conversation forward. Stand with me as we read from Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 12 and we'll read through verse 16. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. And you know what I'm about to say next. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Pray with me. Father, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what's ahead, help us to press on. In Jesus' name, amen. He's talked about all these reasons that he has to boast in himself if he wanted to. He talks about his Israelite pedigree. He talks about his performance of the law. He talks about this personal piety that he exhibits. All all becoming garbage because of Christ. And what's amazing is that Paul... Paul demonstrates a maturity 
in this conversation. He's not bragging about it simply to brag about it. He's bragging about it in a sense, bragging that he's not bragging. And what I mean by that is that he wants you to see his example because he is living the example that you should be following. He's talking to the Philippians and he's saying, look at me, look at the way that I'm conducting myself. And then in verse 17, he's going to end up saying, now, imitate me. Join in imitating me. You follow my lead. You do what I'm doing. I think it's to the Ephesian church. He says, mimic me as I mimic Christ. So he, he's got this, uh, it, it's not proud. It's not in the sense of everybody look at me. I'm so great. It, it's watch me and follow my example. My dad would do that. Here, watch how I do it. Your, your dads do that? Watch how, watch how I nail this nail in. Here, you try. Watch how I do this particular job. Watch, watch how I put this piece in so you know how to do it. I remember my dad showing me how to change brakes. Now I can change brakes because I followed his example. He showed me not to brag about what a great mechanic he was. He showed me so I would learn. And that's what Paul is doing here. And, and he starts with what is really a, a keen sense of self-awareness. Uh, uh, and, and in a way, everything that he's saying about himself, he's, he's turning toward the Philippians to say, now this is true of you too. This is how you need to respond. And so he starts with kind of this, this general idea that you're not there yet. Now, he doesn't say you're not there yet. He says, I'm not there yet. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this. Obtained what? The power of the resurrection of Christ. He's not there yet. He hasn't really been perfected. He even says, I'm not all, nor am I already perfect. I haven't obtained this. I'm not there yet. Look at the beginning of verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One of the amazing things is this self-awareness that Paul has. Paul has this keen sense of self-awareness. He knows um, he knows that he's not there. And that, that is something, that's a mark of, of um, maturity, by the way. He, he, he tells us this in a couple ways. He says, I have not already obtained. I'm going to change the words around just a little bit here. I, am, I have not already obtained. I am not already perfect. He says, I have not made it my own. The literal reading of that would be something like, not that I have already obtained or have already been perfected or I do not consider myself to have acquired it. He speaks as though he's got a long way to go. It's not just a little shortness. It's not like I'm almost there. I can sense it. I can touch it. You know, I can, I, 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 it's just beyond my reach, right? It doesn't sound like that. Oh, I, I, I'm not there yet. He knows how far off he is. And the funny thing is, uh, mature people know how far off they are. Uh, I, I've told y'all the story before, uh, hiring someone. And um, I, was, I was with the store manager. I was the assistant store manager at the time. And, and we were trying to hire some folks. And so we were interviewing a girl. And the store manager asked, what would you say is your greatest weakness? And she was like, you know, Think about it for a minute. I don't, I don't think I have any. I bet I can name her greatest weakness. Can't you? See, that's not what a mature person does. A mature person knows that. Uh, I, I had one time where uh, a boss was interviewing some kids. This was at the mall, Chick-fil-A. And, and he said, 
he said, it's so refreshing to talk to you because you are actually self-aware. These, eight, these 17, 18, 19-year-olds, they don't have a clue. <laughs> but you actually, you know what's going on. Um, there's just something about being more mature that you have a better sense of who you really are. And that's a good thing. In fact, that's something that we need more of. The mature person knows their weaknesses and works to overcome them. Rather than divert attention only toward others, the mature individual learns how to deal with their own shortcomings as well as their own successes too. If we are to endure the difficulties of life, we must first recognize what those difficulties are. What are the things that are hardest for us? So you know, you know what they are for you, I hope. Some of you do, some of you don't. Just ask around. If you're married, that person will tell you. If you're a kid, ask your mom or your dad. They'll tell you. Ask those that are close to you. They'll help you know what it is. What was the one thing you wish was different about me? Oh boy, you'll start a conversation with those. What we need to do is we need to take a long, deep gaze into the eyes of Christ. And then a long, deep gaze into our mirrors and see where we fall short of our standard. Because the fact is, we can talk about how good we are compared to other people. But when we stand next next right side by side with Christ, and we compare that. But you don't tell a counterfeit bill by comparing a counterfeit bill with it. You tell a counterfeit by comparing it to the real thing. So we put ourselves next to the standard and, and take a good long look at who we are compared to Christ. We'll see our shortcomings. God willing, we won't see them all at once. But over time, we'll develop a keen sense of who we are and where we need to be knowing that we aren't there yet. That's, that's the first step of enduring. You see, when we just blame it on everybody else and we don't pay attention to our own faults, we can't endure that way. There's no perseverance when it's someone else's fault. No, we need to come to grips with our own fault, with our own error, with our own deficiencies. Maybe it's not a fault so much as it is a deficiency. Maybe it's, I just can't do that. I tried uh, uh, the other day, to pick up a box and it was too heavy. Is that a sin? No, I'm just not strong enough. I tried to kick and I kicked a little too high. Uh-oh, I don't need to do that again. <laughs> I, I, I need to be more flexible before I try that. It's just a deficiency. It's, it's a limitation to what I can do. And knowing your limits, knowing your deficiencies, knowing your errors, knowing the problems that are so easy to succumb to for you, that awareness is the first step because it makes you dependent on Christ and it helps you realize where the limits need to be. I know other folks, they can do a lot more lifting than me. Go for it. That's a, that's a you job. That's not a me job. That's too heavy for me. But I know other folks that are shorter than me and they need my hand to reach up on that high shelf. I don't think of myself as very tall, but I'm taller than them. And I'm just tall enough on my tiptoes that I can get that shelf. It's, it's, it's being aware of who you are and who you need to be. That's the first step of enduring. The problem is that, that some will take the first part. I know who I am, but I don't really care to grow any. There are plenty that are content staying just where they are. There are countless numbers of Christians. And let me actually say this. Christians who have no desire to grow in Christ. I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. Maybe I'll go to church every now and then so I don't feel so bad. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a few things here and there. Maybe I'll throw a 20 in the offering plate, or maybe I'll, 
Maybe I'll do some good works every now and then, some random acts of kindness. You know, God doesn't call us to random acts of kindness. He calls us to living life for him. Nothing random about it. It's to be very intentional. Discipleship doesn't happen accidentally, does it? We have hundreds of churches who are content just having fun, putting on a great show, having, having, having church be phenomenally entertaining with no impetus to share the gospel or no impetus to share the full gospel, just to water it down so it's just the good stuff. We don't want any of the bitter. It's like, it's like do you know why we put sugar in tea? Have you ever tried tea without sugar? It's bitter. No, you got to put tons of sugar in that tea to make it taste good, right? That's what people do with Christianity. They say, oh, this is too bitter by itself. All this talk of blood and, and, and crucifying the flesh and, and dying to self and surrendering your will to God, that, that's, that's too bitter. So we got to sweeten the pot a bit. Let's throw in a lot of love and joy and happiness. Maybe a little bit of self-help for how to deal with the current situation or, or something like that. But, and, and, and there are a lot of pastors who are willing just to preach sugar sticks. Easy listening, pop culture reaching, reaching, self-help pep talks and not actually preach the word of God. And too many people that are only willing to listen to that kind of junk. The temptation, especially here in the West, is for us to become lax. For us to sit back and let God do it. I mean, it's all up to God anyway, right? It's all him, so we'll just sit back and let him do his thing. We're, we're not going to get in his way. If we're not careful, we can become so lax in our spirituality that we can let the comforts of our present circumstances become our God. Lull us into this laissez-faire form of religiosity that's completely devoid of genuine faith. It happened, it happened to the Israelites in Egypt. How bad it was in Egypt. They get out of Egypt. You know, within three days, you know what they're doing? Why'd you bring us out here to die? Life was better back there. Back there, we had water. Back there, we had food. Back there, we had all these different kinds of food. Back there, forget the fact that Pharaoh was trying to kill every male child when it was born. Forget the fact that they were slaves. Forget the fact that they were being beaten because they weren't producing enough bricks when they had to get their own straw. Forget all of the troubles it was just so much better back there. It happened to the church in Laodicea. You know, they had a reputation, both inside and outside the church, as being in a live church. A church alive is worth the drive, right? The problem is they weren't alive. They were dead. They were dead. If we're not careful, we'll look at faith as a salve to ease the pains of our difficulties, as a revitalizing cream to remove the blemishes and make us look better to others. There's a real danger to just being content with where we are. We're not there yet, folks. So press on. See, if we're not there yet, if you're driving on a trip and you have not reached the destination, do you just randomly pull over and say, well, I'm tired of driving. Let's, let's just stop here. Now, there might be times when you pull over for a break. Man, I got to get up and stretch. I need to go to the bathroom. You know, it's about time for lunch. We're getting hungry. Let's pull off here. Let's eat. And then let's keep going. You don't stop at McDonald's in, in Evergreen when you're headed to the beach, do you? You don't stop and stay at McDonald's in Evergreen. Anybody do that? No. Why? You got a better place to be. Now, you might stop there to get some food. You might stop there to use the bathroom. You might stop there for a number of reasons, but you're not going to stay there. You're going to get up and you're going to keep going, right? Right? 
So press on. You're not there yet, so press on. You haven't reached the destination, so keep going. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul uses the same word for pressing on that he used earlier in the chapter, but you probably missed it because this word has two kind of uh, uh, different meanings that all come from the same basic idea. This word is also used in verse 6. He says, as, for, as to zeal, that he was a persecutor of the church. That's that word, persecutor. Wait, persecute and press on? They both have the idea of pursuit. You see, this was a guy before Christ that was pursuing the church. Now, he was trying to destroy it. He was pursuing it in order to destroy it. He was Wally Coyote pursuing Roadrunner to destroy him, right? Now, however, rather than pursuing the eradication of the gospel of Christ, he is pursuing the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Notice, though, I, I, I didn't say in this Paul pressed on. I'm not saying Paul wasn't there yet, so Paul pressed on. No, I put it in first person because it's our reality too. We're not there yet either, so we need to press on. It's not just Paul wasn't there yet, so he had to press on, but we're okay. No, we're not there yet either. We need to press on too. We do it. How? How do we press on to make it our own, as Paul says? What do we do to move from the catatonic state of religious drowsiness to an enduring kind of faith, a faith that is active in obedience to God. Well, he says a couple of things. Again, this is, here's my example. Follow my lead. Verse 13. Well, one thing I do, I, I do, this is in the middle of verse 13, forgetting what lies behind. Paul says he's forgetting. He's not saying he can't remember. It's not like I forgot where I put my shoes. Have you seen my keys? can't find them anywhere. It's not that kind of forgetting. This kind of forgetting might be better translated or might be best thought of as neglecting or overlooking. It's, it's, it's the, the things that are behind, I'm not paying attention to them anymore. Now, what he's not saying is, I haven't learned anything from them. They don't have anything to teach me. No, no. You learn from the past or you're doomed to repeat it, right? You don't learn from history. You're, you're going to repeat history. That's what cracks me up. So many people think communism is a good idea. Have you paid attention to history? Like, I mean, communism isn't exactly a successful strategy. All the things that used to be gained, his pedigree, his performance, his piety, everything counts now as loss. What used to be the sources of his boasting are now forgotten about. They're now put away. Forgetting what is behind. If we are to endure the struggles of the Christian life and, and there will be struggles, y'all already know that. Y'all are old enough to know that, right? You, sh you should know that. If you don't, then you need to see me afterwards because we gotta, we got to really have a talk. If we're to endure the struggles of the Christian life, we've got to be willing to forget what lies behind. It doesn't mean we don't learn from it. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, um, um, take the lessons and apply them in the future. We should remember what happened but we can't live there. I, I, I don't know that any of you have ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, but there is a character, Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico is just not a very good character at all, but most of the movie, he is seen doing the same thing. He is in a field with his van, this old, old van that he has, and he is recording himself on a video camera throwing the football. 
over and over and over again. And he keeps repeating the same phrase to himself. I could take state. He is convinced. He was a high school quarterback, and he is convinced that if he went back to high school and played as quarterback, that his team would win the state championship on his back. He is living in the past. Now, the guy's older than me, and that's all he can think about is going back to win a state championship. You see what's wrong here? That's the way some people live. They live in the past as though that's all that matters. There's nothing in front of them. There's nothing ahead of them that's worth going for. So they just live in yesterday. Oh, you know, it was so great then. Times were so much easier then. The church was full then. They live in the past and they don't bring into the future because there's nothing in the future for them. Everything's back there. No, we need to forget what lies behind. We need to put it away. We need to overlook it. We need to neglect it and leave it in the past. Why? Well, because there's something better in front of us. We, we, we not only need to forget what lies behind, we need to pursue what lies ahead. So, so what, what's back there is important. It's important to learn from. In part, it's made us who we are, and it's good to know that. It's good to know your roots. It's good to, to remember where you came from, but you don't live there anymore. Yesterday, it's gone. What are you going to do about it? Learn from it, but we press on. We pursue what lies ahead. He says this at the end of verse 13, and straining forward to what lies ahead. This straining forward, just like the word forgetting, by the way, both words are uh, uh, in a, a form that means that they are ongoing they haven't been completed yet. He has not forgotten what's in the past. He has not strived for or reached for what is ahead as though his action is done. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Jesus said, no man who, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. You know why? You ever tried to plow looking backwards? You ever tried to plow by hand anyway? It's tough enough to keep a straight line. It's really tough when you're not paying attention to where you're going. We really want to endure in this Christian life. We really want to, to successfully endure the hardships and the struggles and glorify our God. We've got to keep our eyes focused on what's in front of us. And I'm kind of leading into the next point too. But I, I want you to see this. Since we, we all take Taekwondo, our whole family does. Since we started taking Taekwondo, I'll tell you the most amazing thing has happened. I can stretch farther than I have ever stretched in my adult life. Really. I can almost, in fact, the other day I did it. There's a stretch we do where, I'm not going to do this right here because y'all won't be able to see it, but, I, but you sit down, legs out in front, and you reach out and try to touch your toes. I actually touched my toes the other day. Now I know some of y'all are laughing. That's a real accomplishment because a few months ago, I could barely get halfway down my shins. I'm, I'm folding to become more foldable, as one, <laughs> one comic I saw put it. Oh, that was pretty funny. The more that I stretch, the more that I can stretch. Those of you who do some stretches, you might know this. You start by stretching a little bit, and then after you get stretched for a couple of minutes, you can stretch farther. You can stretch a little bit more. I'm finding that I have to stretch in stages. I can't stretch in two minutes. I have to stretch in 20 minutes because I need enough time for my muscles to get loose enough that I can really stretch them very well. The more that I do it, though, the easier it is to do. 
That's what happens in life. When you stretch for the goal, first of all, you got to have the right goal. But assuming you have the right goal, when you are stretching for the goal, you push yourself to be better in that process. And you get closer and closer and closer. For me, it's trying to touch my toes. I barely got my toes the other day. Now I want to be able to hold on to my toes. Eventually, I want to be so so good at stretching that I can put my head in my knee, touch my nose to my knee. Some of y'all are like, you go right ahead. Because the more I can stretch, the easier it will be for me to do the things I need to do. When we are pursuing the things that lie before us, it's going to take us stretching. Now, not, not to loosen up our legs and our arms, not that kind of stretching. It's going to stretch us in different kinds of ways. It might stretch us mentally, forcing us to, to consider things a different way, to learn to look at life from a different perspective. It might stretch us emotionally, pushing us to the limit and forcing us to rely on God to maintain the self-control we need to serve him. Maybe it pushes us spiritually, forcing us to trust him more and more and lean not on our own understanding and then stop leaning on our own understanding when we are and then continuing to remind us not to lean on our own understanding because we keep wanting to do it over and over and over again. That That is the essence of growing in Christ-likeness. It's little by little, bit by bit, but we keep pressing on. We keep pursuing what lies ahead. And what is it that lies ahead? Well, that, that's really what matters, isn't it? Is, is what lies ahead beating your enemy, being the best? Is what lies ahead that goal that you're striving for? Is it a posh bank account, a comfortable lifestyle? Paul's goal had nothing to do with the temporal comforts we often seek. In fact, the most major part of his endurance is his ability to keep his eyes on the prize. And boy, don't we need to do that too. When Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking toward Jesus, he's walking on water toward Jesus, where are his eyes on Jesus? Is it any wonder that when he looks away from Christ, that's when he starts to sink? You see, when our eyes are focused on Christ, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we find that he gives us the ability to do everything he wants us to do. Now, does that mean that we can lift cars up? Maybe. I've, I've seen situations. You've maybe heard uh, newspaper articles or television news stories of a, a child trapped under a car and a woman just picks up the car enough for the kid to get out. The incredible feats of strength that happen sometimes in the midst of, of a dangerous situation that, that you don't even know you got it in you, but somehow, some way, you find the way to do it. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. And Paul's good at doing that. Verse 14, I press on, same language, toward the goal. What's the goal? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, for Paul, it wasn't just about keep moving forward. It wasn't Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. It doesn't matter where you're going, just keep swimming. He's headed somewhere. There's a goal, and I'm going to get there. He says, all the runners run, but do you know, not know only one wins the prize? See, all these runners are all trying to get there. Only one's going to win it, though. Run, then, so as to win the prize. You see, when we keep our eyes on the prize, when we recognize that the prize 
that upward call of God in Christ Jesus, which is really Christ himself is the prize. Paul, when he says this, uh, if you look at the, the, the way the sentence is structured, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God is bidding Paul to come to him. And the prize for Paul is getting there. So I'm not going to be distracted by what's behind me. All that stuff that's helped me be who I am. I'm thankful for the lessons I've learned. I'm thankful for the positive influence it's made. The, his knowledge of the law would become a great asset as he was preaching the gospel to Jews. His training would be a great asset as he was preaching the gospel to Gentiles as well. His learning of rhetoric and, and basic knowledge that would help him. His ability to see things in the community and not only recognize what they are, but recognize the spiritual thing behind them. You've got a uh, you've got a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. That God you don't know. I know him. Let me introduce you. That ability of Paul to do his mission is in part because of what lies behind. So he doesn't just throw it out completely and abandon it, but he uses it to pursue what lies ahead. He moves forward from it. He builds on top of it. And so should we. And by the way, the thing that makes this prize so great, that makes attaining this prize so wonderful for Paul, he's already mentioned in verse 12. Go back to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Watch this. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, it all stems from the work that God has done in him. Because Christ has taken a hold of Paul and transferred him from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul is able to endure a whole host of circumstances for the sake of that very Christ. And that's the mark of maturity. This gospel has impacted Paul so much that the rest of his life is now different because of Christ. And it ought to be the same way with us. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature Think this way. Not, not be caught up in what used to be, but to stay focused on the prize set before us. To run our race with endurance. One more danger. Oh, and if you, if you disagree with me, God can handle that. He almost says, you know, I know I'm right, but I'll let God deal with you on that. There's one more danger in endurance. Even after we put the past behind us, even after we pursue uh, Christ as we're focused on the prize and growing ever closer to being like him, we're constantly in danger throwing it all away, not just from one simple problem, but from allowing ourselves to get distracted and taken off course. So he, he encourages them and warns them and bids them in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You may not have gotten there yet, but you are part of the way there. Stick with it. Don't give that up. Hold fast. Stay true. God's already done a great work in you. Don't abandon it now. If God saved you from your sins, hold true to what you've obtained. Live like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Act like it. Live that salvation out day to day. If not, today's a great day. Today's the day you can confess your sin, be saved by a Christ who is worth more than everything else, and begin to experience the joy of pursuing this prize. Pray with me. Father, I pray right now in this time 
you would do your work in our hearts. Whatever you need or want, whatever you have brought this individual for, you, you do in in us what you need to do. Maybe it's to maybe it's to turn our hearts back to you. Maybe we've forgotten our prize. Maybe we're living in the past, or maybe maybe we haven't seen what lies ahead. We haven't caught a glimpse of you, and we need you more than ever before. God, you do the work in our hearts that we may not only be obedient to you, but even more than that, that we would only be focused on you, that we would endure for you. In Christ's name, amen.